welcome to another edition of Imagine Publicity on Air on the Inside Lens Network. I'm Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity, and I have the distinct pleasure of co-hosting and producing a lot of the podcasts on the Inside Lens Network. Um, if this is your first time listening and you're not familiar with with some of the podcasts we have, we we produce. Um, Crime Wire, Shattered Lives, and a new podcast that's getting ready to launch very soon is called The Transparency Project. All of these podcasts tend to discuss the issues of the day. We want to educate you. We want to entertain you. And most of all, we want to touch your senses. We, we want you to go away with something that will make your world a little bit better. And today is no different. Today, I am really pleased to introduce Robert Davidson, who came to me from Wild Blue Press. And he originally wrote a book called How Good Parents Raise Great Kids, where he discusses successful child reading, reading, yeah, successful child rearing, and the keys to personal fulfillment. And experts of the excerpts of the book have been uh, printed in Good Housekeeping, Women's Day, Family Life, and has been translated into eight different languages. Well, and then Bob takes a full 180, and he wrote a book called The Beast I Loved, which is what we're going to discuss today, which it examines the exact opposite dynamic of the first book. We're looking at family dysfunction, the psychology of violence, and an ultimately a really horrific tra- tragedy. Bob is available to speak nationally, so if you have a conference or something that you would like to get more information from him, he's available to speak, and he's written numerous columns. He's also the winner of New England Seacoast Writers Association Award for Best Nonfiction. Bob, all of that being said, thank you so much for coming on air with me today. And I want to know, first and foremost, why did you write this book? Well, that's a good question, and that's usually the first question I get. So um, I'm prepared, Delilah. (laughs) The answer is quite simple. Uh, I wanted to focus attention on domestic violence, especially now that it's, it's front and center uh, in the media, virtually every night, every day, um, we're seeing uh, uh, talk of this issue. And so really the timing for uh, publishing uh, this June Brion's remarkable story, it cannot be better. I mean, violence against women is not diminishing. It's getting worse. Matter of fact, according to a, a 2017 FBI report, a woman in this country is beaten every, seven, every 15 seconds resulting in a staggering 4 million assaults per year. And that's just the reported uh, cases. It's probably triple that. And, you know, you um, would and, think that over over the last 20-some years, I, you know, I think back on, I think back on the O.J. Simpson case when, when actually domestic violence exploded in the news and we everybody knew about it then. Before that, it seems like it was kind of, a family affair, you know, this is just the way it is. We just keep our women back here. And it was, it was acceptable. It was socially acceptable. And 
over those years where we've had so many agencies and coalitions and everything that was created to stop the violence, why hasn't it stopped? Well, that's okay. That, that's, that's a very good question. Um, uh, you know, the point of the book, really, Delilah, is to raise public awareness because you're right. People are not aware. I, I want to take people right into the homes of these victims who are, they're not allowed to cry out for help for, for fear they'll be beaten again or, or perhaps next time killed, as their batterers so often threaten to do. And, and, and it's very clear, as you just said, uh, uh, quite, uh, quite uh, uh, to the point, domestic violence, it's a hidden epidemic. You know, it's in every neighborhood, not just the poor and the uneducated. You know, white-collar uh, uh, individuals, doctors, lawyers, the rich, the famous, batter women. Uh, and they abuse and degrade them. You see this every day now in the media, right, right from the entertainment industry right up to and including the White House. And it's never obvious. The thing about domestic violence, it's not obvious. Most people think they know what domestic violence looks like, but they don't. June Beyond, who's, whose story this is, she was, she was, like most women that are battered, she was a master at hiding her injuries. I mean, all victims are because they know the consequences for not doing so. The perpetrators of the violence, for example, uh, whether it's June's batter or anybody else, these, these men, and we're talking, to, I, I understand there's, there, there's uh, uh, the reverse case here, but I'm going to deal with men battering women because that's the predominant issue here. Um, but they're cowards. The batterers are cowards. Their self-image is critical to them. Above everything else, they covet secrecy so they won't be found out. And so that's why, as you point out, this is, this is, uh, you, you, you don't, uh, there's not an awareness of it. And that's what the point of the book is, to bring an awareness to this issue. That's, that's, that's widespread. The other statistic, it's even more stunning than the one I mentioned about the FBI. The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the big main player in this issue across our country, reports an incredible statistic that one in three women have been victims of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime. One in three. That's 33%. I mean, it's so pervasive, the violence in this country, that Congress recently passed some funding to study what the Surgeon General now calls a public health crisis. So it's there. You, you don't see it, but it is there. So I appreciate you having me come on, come on to shed some light on this issue. Absolutely. And, you know, there can't be enough light shed on it. And there are just so so many women out there that are living in fear and so many batterers out there who who have taken control of their lives, literally taken control of their lives. They they basically, you know, have no life of their own. Everything is revolving around what that abuser wants and what that abuser thinks and does and um it's it's totally disgusting so i'm well I'm and very... also go ahead go ahead i'm gonna say it's well, not being mitigated <laughs> you're bringing up good point no you're bringing up good points um because historically the, the criminal justice system has not been responsive they've been unresponsive to domestic, to domestic violence you know, the response by police and courts to allegations of rape and domestic violence have been notoriously lacking. Back in the mid-1980s, which is when June was being beaten, a police officer had to see the abuse before making an arrest. Now, I mean, fortunately, in many, many jurisdictions, he only has to suspect it, 
or have an accusation by the victim in order to take the abuser into custody. So, so there's some improvement, but that was the case back then. So she was really in dire straits. Exactly. I, I, I agree. I think that as as a culture, we have made some improvements over the years. Definitely not enough. Of course, one one abused woman is is too many. But um, I yes, I've seen many improvements over the years, and and even with some of the laws that have been passed, I think some of the offender programs that I'm seeing out there um, are excellent, and they they are reducing the amount of violence they're re- they're reducing the the recidivism of the abuser a lot of times they're put into anger management classes or you know abuser classes so to speak and when it's court ordered like that a lot of times they don't take it quite serious enough don't you think I suppose, but, you know, uh, I'm going to mention some points on that a little later in the talk here because it's not really my main focus because I think, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but my my focus is getting these women safe, not getting men therapy, okay? And the reason is it'll take 20 years and women don't have time. They'll be dead before that or beaten or who knows what. And my focus is not on the recidivism program. I don't discuss it at all in the book. I discuss the problems facing women and, and how to get out of these these uh, these life-threatening situations. By the way, uh, you know, I've got some statistics. I just want to throw a couple things out. I, I know you've heard many sure. statistics, but I just got to mention one. I'm up here in New England, and, for example, in Massachusetts, a fairly small state, the average is 50,000 people seeking restraining orders per year. 50,000, not 500 or 5,000, which would be a lot, but 50,000 in one state alone. I mean, the numbers are astounding. And I also recently read a World uh, uh, Bank study. I'm just going to give you the quote. It's a one-sentence quote. Rape and domestic violence deprive women worldwide of more years of healthy life than all forms of cancer combined, unquote. If that's not a stunning statement, I don't know what it is. Now, that is amazing. It's it's very sadly amazing. And I, I heard something, maybe you can back this up, that the number one cause of death in pregnant women is murder. I don't know the statistic, but it's, I would not doubt that. I yeah. would not doubt that. That's sad. Because, you know, the thing is, there's more publicity and fundraising around breast cancer, Alzheimer's, MS, and the rest, though domestic violence is way more prevalent. The problem is you can't see it, so it doesn't get the attention, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Another reason, to, another way to answer your first question, that's why, that's why I wrote the book. You know, right. we, we all know someone, you know someone, I know, we all know someone who is being emotionally and psychologically battered every day. You, you, they may not tell you that, but you, we all know someone who is. It's so prevalent. And the sad, the sad thing to me is that these people's souls, I mean, their hopes, their dreams, they all they die a little bit each time they're battered. So it's it's just it's uh it's a terrible situation. We've all been psychologically wounded before. We didn't like it. You know, it causes tears, fear, self doubt. So we've all been there anyway, we don't want to stay there. So and if we do if we do stay in that situation then uh, and for an extended period of time, like in the case of June, we become sick. You know, mentally, physically sick and um you know, I'll describe that in a moment when we get deeper into the book. But that's what happens. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's let's talk about that. What what about June Brion's case hooked you in enough to to write this book? What was it about her specifically and about her case that that pulled you in? Her story. You know, uh, when I first heard about the story, I had contacted her um, attorneys here in New, New Hampshire, where I am, and um, I said to them, I told them I was the, the, the uh, Warner Books author who did the parenting book, and uh, I was interested in studying studying the other side, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and would, would their client be interested uh, in... Um, Telling her life story, she said, "Well, I don't, uh, I don't know. Well, you could write her in prison and see." And sure enough, uh, she responded and said, "Yeah, she would be interested in, in looking into it." And so I met her with her two attorneys in prison, and I told her, uh, "I don't know if we have a book here. I don't know what happened to you. I need to know uh, the facts of the story." And and so we started an interview process in prison that went on for a year, and as as the story unfolded, it became more and more sensational and unbelievable and important to, 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 to reveal uh, just what happens inside these homes. And it was then that I decided that I had a book. It wasn't until then, so I didn't know uh, until I got into the depth of the interviews with her, um, you know, what, uh, what, what the case was. I think it would be good to, um, if you let me, I'm gonna, I'd like to read just one little excerpt um, that the editors thought was an important way to start the book, which I, I didn't, so I didn't start the book this way. But it is an excerpt <laughs> in the book, but it's, it's pretty it's pretty informative of, of uh, June's um, frame of mind at, at the time of her uh, ordeal. Could I just read this? Just a short Certainly, paragraph? yes. Please yeah, do. There will be a few more. There will be some other graphic examples, but this is a nice overview of her, uh, of her uh, thinking. Quote, with my pregnancy... I hope there would be a change in Jimmy's behavior. Two kids, two cars, the American dream would be mine. Jimmy had been calm during most of my pregnancy, but then one night when I was six or seven months pregnant, it all crashed down. Jimmy attacked my oldest daughter, Jana. I tried to protect her, but he shoved me out of the way, and I fell to the floor. <clears throat> when I crawled over to her and tried to pull her away, he turned and kicked me in the stomach. I shrieked, not in pain, but in terror that he would kill the unborn child that was still in me. He slapped me, punched me, and kicked me. I tried as hard as I could to protect my unborn baby. Then Jimmy stopped hitting us and started screaming. He subjected us to hours of screaming, terror, and threats of death if I ever got in his way again when he was disciplining Jana. He said he'd kill me if I ever ran away, unquote. Yeah, that's, that seems to be the prevalent message that... Uh that is across most abusive relationships is that if you ever get in my way, I'll kill you. And, and women take that literally and as they should, don't you think you, you have to, if they say they're well, going to kill you, they will kill you. Yeah. And before that, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of bloodshed. And, and so, yes, you do have to take all this seriously because, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I interviewed June, like I said, over uh, it's actually a two-year period of interviews and writing this book. I read through dozens of legal file boxes that, containing police reports, legal documents, sociologists, and uh, psychologists' evaluations. So I know I know the facts, and I feel I came to know 
the batterer, Jimmy Breon, intimately through the whole study. And, and so I can tell you this to answer your point there, Delilah. I have no doubt whatsoever that had June been foolish enough to defy him and try to run away, without question, he, he would have made good on his threat to kill her. I'm, I'm certain of that. I mean, oh, after I all, he, he'd made, with you. Well, he'd made good on every other threat he ever made to her. I mean, he was exceptionally reliable in, in that department. So, you know, in domestic violence homicides, most of them end up th- that way, with the man killing the woman, uh, the wife, or the girlfriend who threatens to leave or actually attempts to leave. This case was different because the victim stopped the abuser, but that's unusual. It is. It, it very much is. Um, so can you can you kind of go back into – because June didn't just come to this relationship as a pure and innocent woman, let's say. I mean, she, from what I read in your book, can you go back and discuss some of the, the childhood abuse? That she, I mean, this woman lived abuse almost from the day she was born. And it's it's just a very sad commentary, I think. But I think a lot of that childhood abuse, obviously... It, it finds its way into our adult lives and it affects everything that we do and all the choices that we make as far as relationships go is affected by the childhood abuse that has been suffered. And in June's case, I'll let you explain. Well, the point is she was groomed from infancy to be a victim. Uh, she was given away by a promiscuous mother the day she was born, given away because she wasn't interested in raising her, and, she, and the mother dropped her off at, at, to her, her, at her mother or, or June's grandmother's home, uh, and her grandmother wasn't interested. She'd already raised a bunch of kids. She wasn't interested, but she had no choice, so she begrudgingly took on this kid. And as June said um, somewhere in the book, she said, quote, there was a complete lack of love, unquote, in that house. The opposite of the kids I studied in my first book. The, the exact opposite words encouragement, happiness, um, education, and all and love, and all the rest. And so at that point, she had no support system, um, no way to build self esteem, no way to do anything. She, she made her own sandwiches most of the time. And, and so she was, uh, she was really kind of primed to accept. Any anyone who came along who showed her any bit of love, and as a matter of fact, she that, that's a whole other story. She she had a first husband before this violent one, who took advantage of her too, because um, she was anybody, someone, anyone. I'll go with you. I'll do what you want. I I, I need love like any human being does. So that that was the genesis of of her problem before she ended up with this uh, this uh, pathological guy. But um, you know that's. Uh, uh, I, I just um, think that that may be the case with a lot of women out there, and if, if, they, if they had the proper upbringing, or if they were in uh, had built uh, found a structure, structure a system where they could build enough self-esteem, they wouldn't have been fallen prey to these, these kind of guys. But that wasn't that wasn't the case with you. So, 
Well, I think um, you I think you hit the nail on the head when you when you explained that, you know, she, she was lacking love of any any type, not from her mother, not from her grandmother, not from her family. There was no one there to love her. And as human beings, as animals, we all seek love of any type. And if you don't learn that proper love as a child, then how can you translate that when you're an adult? What kind of love is it that you're looking for? Well, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's the problem. So that was the genesis of her problem. And then she falls into the wrong hand to this abusive, crazy guy. And remember, domestic violence is about power and the need to control. And that comes from insecurity, self-loathing, uh, terrible fear of abandonment and, and the resultant emotional pain that, that abusers can't tolerate. The abuser is a weak one as well. It, it's a real uh, circus in there. Uh, this was Jimmy Brian to the T. And women have the similar issues, which we're just talking about. And they get trapped in these relationships and they allow jealousy, verbal abuse, threats, which then inevitably escalate to hitting. Because they need love so much. These women need the love so much. And they, they, they will put up with that because, hey, they have some hope. And I'll say one, that's the one thing June had throughout this whole ordeal was hope. And as many women believe that their husband is going to change and he means it when he says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. Which, by the way, Jimmy never did. But most, most guys do because they're so afraid of being abandoned by their, their woman. So, so the problem is these women, they don't recognize that, one, it's an unhealthy need, number one, and two, um, you know, this love, what they are calling love they get from their partner, has nothing to do with love at all, really. It's nothing more than an infantile dependency from a needy person who never grew up, the abuser, nor did they. So I mean, exactly. batterers, they're, un- they, you know, they're unstable, they're emotionally immature children, and the worst thing, Delilah, is they're con men. These, these guys are actors. They're expert at convincing their women that they love them because they can't bear the rejection. And as soon as they say, I love you, these women fall apart and they get back into it and they believe them. It's going to be fine the next time. It's not going to be fine the next time. So, so my message on this is, is, is very simple. Do not be fooled. If someone's listened to your podcast who is in one of these relationships, do not be fooled by these con men and do not believe what they're saying to you. These people are unwell. They're unlikely to ever be well with, with whatever therapy and, 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 and the programs that are out there. It's unlikely that they'll be successful, and they're extremely dangerous. So you've got to get out. You don't have to uh, believe any of this anymore. You've got to get out of these relationships. I, mean, I know you agree because we discussed this before. Oh, Delilah. yes, absolutely. It's And unfortunately, many women just don't have all of what you just described, the self-esteem, the power, the empowerment to just get up and leave. And I think that brings us, that brings us to our next topic of discussion. Why don't they just leave? <laughs> I just asked over and oh, over again. Well, you're a good interviewer because usually that's the first question people get. First question. In fact, I, I sent the book to uh, a couple of friends of mine. Uh, one was in California. One is a lawyer here in New Hampshire. And uh, uh, when I talked to them, I knew they hadn't read the book because what was their first question? These are middle-aged, successful, professional guys. Well, why didn't she just leave? I mean, like you, like you, Alan, just jump in the BMW with a fistful of uh, credit cards and your Gucci bag and then just take off? That's not the way it was. They're not you. 
So don't ask me that question. It's it's a, it's a crazy question. It, it's um it's the one that's most infuriating. It's the most unfair. It's the most misunderstood issue of all. Why didn't she just leave? That that should not be the question. The question exactly. should be why do men or women? And as a society, how do we stop it? That's what we should be asking. But we're not. Why, why didn't she? That's like this common thing. So why don't they leave? Um, you know, there's a lot of issues involved, and they're complicated ones. Children, jobs, finances, threats, fear, no place to go, uh, no place to hide, no place to be safe. You know, remember back in 1987 when June committed this murder, uh, there were no 800 numbers flashing across a TV screen. As a matter of fact, it was 1986, the year before, that the National uh, um, uh, Coalition Against Domestic Violence put up the National uh, um, uh, domestic violence hotline, which of course June didn't know about because she wasn't allowed to have a phone book in the house, so she, she didn't even know about that. But uh, as a matter of fact, there were only two safe houses in the entire state of New Hampshire back then, uh, which June didn't know about. So it was a different world, and, and uh, it was just the beginning of the recognition of the battered woman syndrome, which is another uh, subject we can talk about. But um, but there was no no sympathy because there was no understanding of the syndrome, which is why I'm on your show today. We we need to know Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Well, and it's, yeah. it's you know like you're saying back in that back in that day there wasn't what we have now. There weren't the resources. There weren't the the hotlines and and all of the agencies and things that that we know about now. So then that that turns it into a generational issue as well because if you look back in in a person's family 9 times out of 10 you're going to find out that that woman's mother was abused her mother was abused and on and on and back it goes so it uh, well, you know it's point, kind of a matter of stopping it now yes and on that point the the other side is the abuser was abused these abuse, these abusive guys, their 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 fathers beat the heck out of them, and they, everything was screaming, and there there was no love, no understanding, no education. These often semi semi literate guys, or even the professionals, the doctors and lawyers, they had lousy upbringing. They were not raised in lo- typically typically they were not raised in these loving, supportive houses, uh, households, um, and or they had they were uh, had a pathological. A problem. They they may they they may have just been wired wrong. You know, a sociopath today who does a rape or kills somebody. Often you interview that guy, they will often say, "I have no remorse. I had felt nothing. I, and to this day, I feel nothing." Those are not normal brains functioning. So so whatever the case is, we can't analyze all that. These women have to get out of their relationships. That's what they have to do. So so why didn't they just leave? I, I want to read you. Um, uh, well, I have a little a little sidebar here. I, I made a note here. Can I, let me let me let me ask you this question: Do you see any similarities between the domestic violence issue and the backward patriarchal governments we see around the world, like like the Taliban, for example? You know, a friend of mine was a special ops uh, paratrooper in Afghanistan. Uh, he was there for eight months. Never once did he see a woman's face in all that time, because they wear the burqas and no fingernail polish on the on the girls. Do you know what happens if a little girl is found with fingernail polish? She loses her, loses her fingers. So why are there these oppressive restrictions? The answer is fear.
fear, and in particular, fear that women may be attractive to other men. That was a constant fear of uh, Jimmy Brown. And remember, it's, it's the woman, not the man, in an out-of-wedlock affair who gets buried to her armpits and stoned to death. The man goes free. In modern Japan today, in modern Japan today, many women still walk ten paces behind their men. So, so these men's control of their world is critical because of their monumental cultural insecurities. And it's just like Jimmy Brion, same, same, same deal. So that's the, that's the basis of this. Why they're like that, I don't care. What we have to do is recognize that that's what's happening. Well, and once we recognize well, it, that's the, that's the beginning of changing it. You're right. It has to be recognized and discussed, and, and then change may, may, may or may not come about. And when well, you, when you have a, a country like ours that's made up of so many, many different cultures, you're, you, know, you have the influence of many cultures in the way that they treat their women. So I think you brought up a very good point. Well, it's the same culture that, that I mentioned in Afghanistan or Iraq or any other backwards Middle Eastern crazy place, Saudi Arabia. The women just now are allowed to drive a car. I mean, it's insane. It's that same fear of, that men have that is driving these batterers to control their women. That's what domestic abuse is all about. If there was an underlying statement in my whole conversation with you today, that would be it. It's the fear that these men have. Um, and, and the insecurity of the women. You put those two together and you've got the circus I'm talking about. So, again, why don't they just leave? i got a note here. I want to read you a – I'm not going to read the most graphic, horrible stories in this book, and there's probably 50 of them in here. But let me just read you this one because um, uh, it, it, it kind of answers a little bit of this question. Why don't they just leave again, which, I, which again, is such, a, such a, a wrong question. But it's the one you know people want to know. But let me read you this little um, uh, this example of what happens in these relationships. Can I do that? Absolutely. Please do. Okay. So this is from the book. Jimmy came home late and did not want anything to eat. June had just made dinner for him earlier, but by 8 o'clock she figured out uh, he was drinking again and decided to put the food in the refrigerator. When he f- walked through the door at 8.45, she was just finishing reading a story to Jana, who was almost asleep but not quite. June had put her to bed at 7 o'clock, but Jana couldn't sleep, so she put her on her lap in the living room uh, to read to her. <clears throat> Jimmy went to another part of the house, and when he came back, he was furious. He started in about Jana's room. He, was, he, was, uh, he said he was sick and tired of telling her to keep it clean. Um, I argued that she was only a child, a three-year-old child. She didn't understand about keeping a perfect order in her room. And Jana was so tired, she didn't even notice the argument. She kept nodding off to sleep. And then, quote, this is from June. Uh, Then Jimmy started yelling directly to her, wake up, he said, and she would wake up and fall back to sleep. He kept yelling at her, wake up, pay attention, listen when I'm talking to you, as if she was 10 or 12 years old. But she couldn't stay awake. She kept falling asleep and couldn't pay attention like he wanted Jimmy really started yelling then, out of control. Only this time his craziness was directed toward his own daughter. I saw then something I had not realized before. He wasn't just loud and obnoxious. He was cruel and mean. For the first time since I had met him, I was scared. I saw he was dangerous, the way he was screaming at a little kid who hadn't done anything wrong. All of a sudden, Jimmy grabbed Jana and started smacking her in the face. I pulled her away and jumped up and ran out of the room. Jimmy kept screaming in the living room, and I just opened the door. and I just opened the back door and ran out. 
He didn't even know we were gone. He was raving so much. Jana had on her footsie pajamas, and I was barefoot and wearing my uh, baseball pajamas with the elastic uh, waistband. I've been wearing them ever since I was six months pregnant. At this point, uh, aside here, she was nine months pregnant this time. I'll continue the quote. All I remember was running. I wanted to get away from Jimmy, just run away from him as fast as I could. But I was as big as a house, and I couldn't move very fast. I got down the street about 100 yards when Jimmy grabbed my hair from behind and pulled me backwards. I started to fall and had Jana on my hip, but quickly uh, I had time to, to tuck her in front of me before I landed on my rear end. Now I'm crying, Jana's crying, Jimmy's screaming in the middle of the street, slapping us both. He didn't care who we hit, he was just hitting. Then he started dragging me by the arm back to the house. He was screaming and pulling me, and then he let go of my arm. I thought he was going to stop, but he didn't. He went around behind me and grabbed my, both of my legs and started dragging me like a plow horse. I was yelling and crying for him to stop, yelling that he was hurting me, but he wouldn't. My head was bouncing on the pavement as he pulled me. I could feel the hair getting sanded off the back of my head and my spine scraping along the pavement. I tried to hold on to Jana with one hand and put my other hand down to raise off the ground, but the skin on my hand was peeling off, and I couldn't do it. I was getting all scraped up no matter what I did, but Jimmy didn't care. He just kept dragging us all the way back to the house. That just gives, gives me chills. It, it just, you know, to even to even contemplate that type of an incident, it just gives me chills. And I, and I know what you say. This is not the worst that happened to June. No, no, no. This is not at all. But, it, 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 you know, it's hard to write this book, though. I, a lot of tears. Even now I, I even get a little right. teary-eyed when I read these. I've read, I've read, I've read that a hundred times. But that that's why Jim did, that's why people don't leave. That's why women. Drew Buran, and she was dropped off at her grandmother's doorstep, like I said, and things went downhill from there. So we've we got to quit asking the question, why don't they just leave? We've got to quit victimizing the victim. I mean, we've we're, right. we, we got to quit punishing the people who never deserve to be punished in the first place. They need love and understanding, not criticism, ridicule, and judgment, which is what they get. You know, well, she should have left, and she can't leave. She can't leave. Right. So, and, you know, this kind of brings us to um, the battered woman syndrome. Can you can you talk about that? And, and especially maybe in June's case, what did this all mean to her? Um, well, yeah, she was suffering from battered woman syndrome. And I, I let me let me I've got a quote on that, too. But let me preface it by just I, I just think it's most interesting that, you know, no one questions why a 10 year old child doesn't leave when they're being sexually or physically abused at home. No one questions that. That's but, true. But women, they don't for the same reasons. They don't leave their relationships for the same reasons kids don't run away from home usually. It's because they're scared. They have no resources, no place to go. And more than anything, they, they need to fit in. They need the love that we talked about a minute ago. And many right. women, they're like children. They're, they're like, they don't know how to leave. They don't have the confidence or the resources and they're incapacitated by fear, uncertainty, you know, and for good reason. I mean, they're being threatened daily with more bodily injury if they ever leave. So, so that leads us into this this issue of uh, battered woman syndrome. Let me let me give you a, uh, a quote from the book on this. It's clearer than my uh, trying to explain it. This is uh, an issue of battered woman syndrome. Okay, I'm quoting from the book now. Indeed, June was already falling into what would be widely known as battered woman syndrome. Uh, let me stop. I should have prefaced this. At the time of June's incident, 
this was not widely known. It was just being studied back then. It is now widely known uh, and it's accepted as a syndrome. So here's an answer. That, that's one good answer right there. She was suffering from battered woman syndrome. She couldn't leave. She was incapacitated. Um, but at the time this occurred back in 1987, this was just uh, being studied. So uh, let, me, let me explain what this is. Let's see, she was falling into what would widely be known as battered woman syndrome, a condition that includes total submission to a dominant, threatening spouse complicated by learned helplessness, a psychological state resulting from the domination and mind control of the perpetrator. June was ripe for such conditioning, complete dependence on her husband, two children to care for, minimum wage job, no friends, isolation from the world around her, she had no transportation, no parents, no money, poor self-esteem, learned submissiveness, and above all, the belief that everything that was happening to her was her own fault. If she could just, quote, get it right, like other wives did, everything would be fine. And that's something, end quote, of this page. And that's something that Jimmy Buran constantly told. You know, if you could just get it right, I wouldn't have to keep doing, be doing these things to you. you. You're a bad wife. You just don't get it right. So, so she was falling into better women's syndrome. She had a, based on the psychological reports that I read, she had one of the most severe cases of battered woman syndrome, and she fell into this issue of uh, learned helplessness. Can I just read that to you? And I think it's clearer if I read it. Sure. Yeah, uh, battered. You asked me about battered woman syndrome, but it's, it's concurrent with uh, what's referred to as learned helplessness. Uh, okay, quote, at this point in her relationship, June was falling into what psychologists later refer to as learned helplessness, a complex psychosocial condition that leaves a woman powerless to do anything to stop her attacker. Being battered over and over again, particularly within a short period of time, diminishes a victim's ability to respond and convinces her that there is nothing she can do to help herself. Quote, such beatings are like shock waves, unquote, said one psychologist and expert in domestic abuse who later examined June. Quote, they envelop a person totally, physically, emotionally, mentally, and seem inescapable to, no matter what she does. The worst of it is, since her perception is altered and June's was particularly distorted, she believes she has no way out of her situation and thus her motivation to do something to change it dissolves. People in June's situation become passive because their ability to perceive accurately is changed. They find that when they take certain action, they do not get the expected results. When this happens often enough, they begin to believe that there will never be a favorable outcome to anything they do. This is exactly what happened in Miss Beyond, uh, to Miss Beyond. Her perception became her reality, and she was crippled by it. Let me go to one other page that explains this, uh, continues this thought of Delilah, 187 here. Let me continue on this point. Uh, after a quote here. After another attack, June dropped further into the depths of, of learned helplessness. Psychologists would later describe her as suffering from psychoparalysis, whereby she could neither fight nor flee because she had lost the ability to perceive success of any kind. There was no way for her to challenge her failure expectancy because that's all she ever experienced, failure. One later psycho psychological report stated, quote, like most battered women, June saw herself as powerless to escape the control of her batterer attributing to him the power he repeatedly worked to convince her he had, unquote. So by this point in her relationship, June was indeed convinced of Jimmy's power and believed she had nowhere to go and no way to get there. Um, quote, this is a quote from June. 
Leaving was never an option. It wasn't even a consideration. Living with the fear of death was one thing. Precipitating it, causing your own death by doing exactly what your spouse forbids you to do, well, that would be suicide. I hadn't sunk that far yet, unquote. So there you have it. I hope that explains what happens to these women. Well, very much so. I mean, you're right. They just feel like there is no other choice. They have no options. They, they're up against the wall on a daily basis, not just once in a while or once a week. It's every single day. And that, that is right. So, you've, you've, um, you know, and, and so the book, the book eventually goes on to describe the homicide, um, prison, um, which is a whole, could have been a book in itself. And well, let's really, talk uh, about that a little bit. Tell me, you know, I I think that you've described very well what led up to the fact that she shot her husband and killed him. And then what happened? She went to prison without a trial. Remember, this is – if you're poor uh, – pardon the expression – poor white trash, which is the, the – the, uh, uh, pejorative that's, that's used for, for, in our society. That's exactly what June was. You don't call your lawyer, like I just said, you don't jump in your B&W and take off and say, I'll see you later. You have no money, no resources, no uh, – there was no lawyer. She was uh, she was convicted of uh, uh, first-degree murder and sentenced by the governor of New Hampshire to uh, uh, 15 years to life in prison. No, no trial. No trial. She went to prison to answer your question. I mean, and, and the closest June ever came to getting real justice, or perhaps mercy is a better word for it, is when on her way to prison, the officer driving her almost turned around. I've got to read you this, though, Isla, because it's just sure. still, it's such a great little story. He, he almost turned around. I'm going to preface this. Um, what happened was uh, she was convicted, and then there was a convoy. She was constantly getting death threats by these men in New Hampshire that don't think women should be able to defend themselves. You know, and he, he, She killed a guy. We're going to kill her. She was getting death threats all the time. So whenever she was traveling in the sheriff's car, she was on the floor because, because they, they were worried she was going to get shot through the window. That, that's how bad. This was a big case up here. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, and so so this was after the after she was convicted that she had to get to prison. Well, they had a convoy of flashing lights and cops all over the place and sheriff, sheriffs and state troopers taking her to the prison. But when they got near the prison, they peeled off, and then this, this final car holding June on the floor uh, is what I'm going to tell you about right now. <clears throat> um and what I said, this is the closest she ever got to justice when the, the driver almost turned around. Um, okay, here we go. This is the quote from the book. The rest of the convoy peeled off and dispersed just before entering the prison grounds, leaving the state trooper alone to drive the final distance to the prison. Finally, he spoke, quote, you can sit up now, it's okay, unquote. The breakup of the entourage seemed to relax the young man with the curly blonde hair who now became more talkative. How you doing, he asked June. Okay, she said, slithering backward up onto the car seat as best she could. The officer saw her struggling in the rearview mirror and stopped the car. He got out and opened the passenger door. Quote, you don't need the cuffs anymore, unquote, he said. Here, turn around, I'm taking them off. So removing uh, prisoner's handcuffs in this manner is against police procedure. But the trooper was not worried about police procedure. He was worried about June. 
He got back into the front seat, and he put the car in gear. He drove for a minute and spoke up again. I don't really want to do this, he said. June did not reply. The car kept moving, but only at 10 miles an hour. The prison loomed a quarter mile ahead. Two minutes went by, and the prison drew closer. There was still 100 yards to go when the trooper said again, I really don't want to do this. You have babies, June. You were trying to protect your babies. <clears throat> Unquote. For a moment, June had the distinct impression that the sympathetic young trooper was about to spin the car around and drive off as fast as he could in a miraculous, Herculean act that would save her from the fate that awaited her, now 50 yards and 20 seconds away. As he admitted later, quote, I thought about it. I really did, unquote. But reason got the best of him, and he slowed to a stop with the woman he knew should be anywhere but here, unquote. Oh, wow. I tell you, I've said that a hundred times. I still get tears in my eyes. Yeah, I, and I can't imagine the emotions that she was feeling at that particular point in time where, you know, I almost a flash of hope comes to her that he's well, going to be the knight in shining armor and save her from all of this and, and then to have well, all of that dashed. Yeah, that would have been the justice, not going to prison. But the, exactly. the, the whole system the whole system failed June beyond. I mean, she fell through the cracks all the way through and uh, even to the very end. She, there was no, this woman shouldn't have spent one minute in prison, but they didn't see it that way. There's um there's an expression, you may have heard this quote, we do not deal with justice here, we deal with the law. <clears throat> Who said that? That was Herman, Herman Melville, Billy Budd. That, that, that more appropriate words cannot have been spoken in, in the case of the state of New Hampshire versus June and beyond. They don't deal with justice, they deal with the law. The law is you shoot somebody, you go to prison. But that wasn't justice. And they didn't understand. Uh, 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 had this happened today, and had she had a, a top-class lawyer, she would have never gone to prison. Now, Bob, did she did she serve her full fifteen years? I can't discuss that um, okay. because that's going to spoil it's going to spoil the last part of the book, Delilah. You don't want to do that. <laughs> gotcha. No, we don't want to do that. Read, and we hope, read the book. We hope all of our out. listeners will go to Wild Blue Press and order this book so that you can find out what how this how this story comes to an end. But yeah, um, and the name remember the name of the book is. Um, uh, the Beast I Loved, A Battered uh, Woman's Desperate Struggle to Survive. There's a subtitle there, A Battered Woman's Desperate Struggle to Survive. It's on Amazon now, and um, you can order it anywhere. It just came right. out uh, 10 days ago. So, um, let's well, see, and it's a very I timely book. Uh, yeah, let's, let's move into... Well, you know, after after writing this book and doing all the interviews and, and basically immersing yourself in June Brand's life in this in this case um this case where where do you feel we are now what type of solutions are out there for women or men caught up in this type of a situation perfect question and i do i do acknowledge that, you know men are abused too by other men in in uh, those kind of relationships even men being abused by women. Uh, so I, pardon me for not, you know, acknowledging that, but I am, I am now. But again, this is predominantly a, a, a man-on-woman issue. So, so whoever's getting abused, um, what, what can we do? That, that is the, the question here. So what can we do now that we're not doing? And so really the answer is a little angel like Delilah Jones, 
putting me on the air and getting this issue out there. That's that's what we do. You got to talk about it. You talk about domestic violence. You speak. I speak at colleges uh, on this issue. I speak on radio shows like yours. You got to speak. But people listening to me who are not writers, they can speak too. Speak. Encourage others to speak. Uh, you can speak at high school. You can look into this. You know, we need to get the kids when they're young and impressionable and impress upon them that it is always and immediately unacceptable to in any way mentally or physically abuse or be abused by anyone, period, period. You've heard of the uh, California law, three strikes and you're out, you know, after the third, that's the third time, you don't have any sure. recourse. My, my personal opinion when it comes to domestic violence is one threat of a strike and you're out, one raised hand in a threatening matter is, is the end of the relationship, and you are out, because threats inevitably lead to a punch or a kick, or, and often, too often, to death. You know, remember, most batterers will not get better. I'm not in this business to, 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 to deal with the therapy of batterers. I'm in this business to deal with getting women out of these relationships. Um, and besides, there are plenty of kind, decent men out there. Why wait? But, see, it takes Absolutely. rational unemotional thinking, and it's very difficult. Look at June. She wasn't thinking rationally. I explained to you what uh, Learn to Help Us was all about. She was anything but rational. I have no doubt that that June was, uh, uh, I I would say, at the time of the murder, she was as deranged as any raving lunatic in any insane asylum. Jimmy had driven his wife so insane that when she was first sent to prison, when, she did, when the uh, officer dropped her off, I just read to you, for murder. Um, and, no, I strike that. that. That's when she went to prison. When she first went to jail, the night, I'm talking about the night of the murder, she was uh, sent to, into a cell, with a, and there was another cellmate there, and the cellmate saw her cowering in the corner, shaking like a leaf, and she said, what, what's, what's the matter? She said, Jimmy's not dead. You don't know Jimmy. These bars won't stop him. He's going to come down here, and he's going to kill me just like he always said he would do. That's how insane oh. she was at the time. Uh, what so, horrible uh, fear. What horrible fear. Yeah, well, so people, my point was people aren't thinking rationally when they're in these relationships. You've got to get out of them. Get out. These, you know, that's why women in these dead-end relationships, these dangerous relationships, they need help. So, so what do we do to answer your question? Because I know we're running low on time here. What do we do? You confront women who you suspect are being abused, and you talk to them. You don't look the other way. they got a little black eye under there. they got a little makeup on there. Talk about that. Make them talk. Say you're willing to listen and listen. That's what you need to do. Let them talk. Get things going. Make some progress. You know, you can't keep this, this issue a hidden one. I mean, it's up to us, you, me, Robert Davidson, Delilah, Jones, to end, we can end this insane epidemic. We can and we must make the difference, and I, and I think we will. So I think, I hope people find the book inspiring and edifying, and, and as June and I both hope, that it, it'll help other women in similar situations. And also, there's another a very important market for the book, uh, besides the general reading audience, and that's uh, uh, you know college professors who uh, offer courses on family violence, domestic violence, criminal justice, women's and gender studies, sociology, psychology, and the like, those sorts of things, and also the directors of uh, domestic I- uh, violence agencies across the country. They deal with this on a daily basis. So it's really targeted to everyone. 
is there is there anything that you can leave us with about how June is today without spoiling the end of the book? Um, where where is she today? Or I can't tell you that. But I'll, I'll give right. you a little. Okay, your answer. I better give give you some answers because you answer me questions. I keep blocking you. She's. Uh, I don't know if I want to do this because. Um, uh, well, I don't want you to give away. Oh, all I, don't the wanna, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to, Delilah. I, I can't tell you where is, she is. I guess I literally I my question because is no, just is out she of leading a, a better life now? Is she leading a better life now? Now that. You know that this has happened to her, and and you basically, I think probably her interviews with you were very cathartic and and therapeutic in some way. That unfortunately she had to relive all of this horrific life she led. But is you know, I I guess I want to know that there's a glimmer of hope that that June is going to be okay. Uh, yes, I'll answer that. <laughs> I'll give you the short answer. <laughs> yes, but I don't. Okay. I'll spoil the book. If we- if we go into the details, and I know I, I, everybody asks me these questions, but I don't want to because it's a, there's a twist at the end of the book. It's, it's a, just the whole thing is a, it's a terrific story. And I must say I was very lucky uh, that I had such a bright, uh, calm, intelligent woman to deal with and also had such a you know, hair-raising story and, all, and had the, the, the progression of a typical battering you know, situation like this. And by the way, June was the first woman in the state of New Hampshire to earn a college degree from behind bars. That's how bright she was. Amazing. So she was, well, that's, she was, that's oh, yeah, good. It was quite something. And by the way, besides um, – uh, the other thing I want to mention besides the book, which is The Beast I Loved, the, the National Domestic Violence Hotline – I'm just going to put it out there, although it's, it, it, uh, you, know, you can get that on the Internet if you're allowed the Internet – uh, but I just I have it here, so I'll just <clears throat> tell you what that is. The the this is 24/7, 365. You know what that means? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always on. It's 800-799-7233. The hotline 800-799-7233. Um, Yes, I think that's a very important piece of information out there for for any listeners who might even be. Thinking they're in a in an abusive relationship because I think a lot of times women don't realize that they are in a, an abusive relationship. It's just their normal, and you know sometimes it 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 takes a wake up call for some people to to realize that they're being abused and that this is not normal. Um, use that hotline. Use it and and get yourself help. Get out of the situation. Yes, and remember now, like unlike in the, in the case of June, now there are safe houses. Most communities have safe houses uh, where where uh, there's protection. And uh, again, there's local agencies all over the place, as well as the, the, the hotline here. But a 911 call will do it. Remember what I said a moment ago. This is my opinion. Uh, a thr- you don't wait till the first strike because it could kill you. you, you, you any, a threat or threatening language, abusive behavior, get out of these relationships is all I can say, folks. Get, your guy is not going to get better. He's not going to get better. Plus, 
There are a lot of other guys out there that are normal. Why in the world would you stay in this? Because you, you know, he says he loves you. He doesn't. He needs you. There's a big difference. He doesn't love you. He needs you. Because he's so afraid, and he has such a lousy upbringing and all the other reasons we went over. So don't believe it. Get out, and uh, so you don't end up in the situation that June was, which is, the whole thing was a big tragedy. So. Right. Well, with the, the uh, with the last few minutes of the show winding down, Bob, what what parting words would you like to say? What message do you want to get across, um, other than what you've already already so eloquently said? Uh, what do you want our listeners to take away today? I think. Uh, well, I think it is important that you read the book, which is um, uh, as one uh, one sociologist had read the book, said it was the most um, uh, enlightening book on domestic violence she had ever read, and it was the most gripping uh, case of abuse that she'd ever read. And she deals with it on a, on a daily basis as well. I think you ought to read the book so you can. My, my point was to get inside the homes of the bat, of these battered women and tear down the walls that are so so uh, these protective walls that these men hide behind. Tear them down and get inside and see what's going on. If you are an abused person, you will relate to what's going on, and I think that will be a light bulb. Just just that in itself. You relate. This, boy, that's me. I've got to get out of here. Uh, so I think it's, very, it's inspiring and it's edifying or, or educational to read the story and, um, and then make some changes. Uh, don't believe what you're being told by your, uh, by your partner. That would be my final word, I think. Exactly. And everyone out there, go and get this book, The Beast I Loved, published by Wild Blue Press. You can buy it from their website or you can order it on Amazon um, and other places. I'm sure Barnes & Noble carries it and every other retailer that sells books. And I I feel like this is a very, very important book with a very important message, however, a a brutal story. Of, of one woman and uh, I'd, I'd like to thank you Bob for taking your time to be on air with me and um, I hope you all the best success with this book um, I'd like to leave you now with this especially for those of you out there listening who who may think they're in an abusive relationship don't be discouraged. It's often the last key in the bunch that opens the lock. Nobody trips over mountains. It's the small pebble that causes you to stumble. Pass all the pebbles in your path and you will find you've crossed the mountain. And that was written by a survivor of domestic violence. So we want you all to be survivors. We we don't want um we don't want you to be in this specific abusive relationship where you're seeking love and love is probably the most sought after emotion in our world. And it's very important that you find the right type of love. So join us again um, on Inside Lens Network and tune in to all of our different shows And we will see you next time on Imagine Publicity on air.